Hey everybody, it's Chris and Rick Talk Guitars again. We're we're back on the horse. Uh, Chris and I are 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 back. Uh, hopefully, uh, in a regular cadence, we're going to do this. But anyway, the the thing he and I were talking about recently were guitar trends. He and I have seen so many trends since we started playing guitar, and I'm sure there were trends going on before that, and they will continue. But um, when he when he brought that up to me, I mean, things that came to my mind were I remember when I was starting out playing guitar. Basically, there were just stock guitars. You'd buy a used Fender or Gibson or whatever, and it was stock. But then this trend started happening where people were making different pickups, and maybe you wanted a humbucker that would convert to a single coil. Remember that? Like, and you'd get, you know, and I I remember seeing these pictures of these guitars with little switches on them and, and little things and it's like oh boy from and then also there was a company called warmoth that created all these guitar parts and you could create you know your own strat to your own configuration right so you could buy this rosewood neck and you could buy a body that took humbuckers or a combination of humbuckers and single coils and so it's just kind of interesting to think about kind of you know the evolution of of that whole thing what are some things that stick out in your brain when you think back to kind of the onset of maybe some trends and and maybe not maybe i'm just focusing on mods and things like that but what other trends can you think of that that kind of strike you when you were coming up can you hear me yeah did you hear that it sounded like a plane was going to crash no <laughs> yeah, the modification modification was definitely a trend that was definitely in its infancy when I started. I think I think just as guitar players, you know, just human nature to want to tinker with stuff. Yeah. But it's funny that you mentioned Warmoth as far as like guitar modification parts sources because I never heard of them until they're they're regional. They're like in Puyallup. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, for me, the the first one that I was aware of was a company called Mighty Might. That oh, sold yeah, yeah. and necks and things like that. And that was like one of the only games in town. And then, I mean, Schechter came out like in the early to mid 80s, I think. Oh, I yeah. But yeah, guitar. If my source for guitar trends where I kind of like constantly think about things is I have like a, about maybe 60 or 70 old 70s and 80s guitar player magazines that I like to rifle through. Um, and there's, you know, that is like a great window into trends throughout the years. And, you know, interviews with guitar players, you know, famous guitar players and what yeah. they're into and what their thinking is. And it's really, really interesting over time to see all of those things, like what is in fashion and, you know, people's takes on things. So that's kind of what I, I drew from. And, yeah, I remember when, the you know, the modification thing hit. I remember looking at Mighty Might pickups. I had like a an Epiphone, a Japanese Epiphone guitar. And I was thinking, maybe I could get a humbucker in this. I didn't do it, but I just like, it was an option back then. So yeah, tinkering with your guitar is kind of like, I wouldn't even consider it a trend. It's just like a thing that, you know, is like still going on today. I mean, it's a big part of guitar culture now. It's like you get a guitar and the first thing you do is like, what pickups am I going to put in it? You know what I mean? So that is, that's held pretty fast, but it's amazing how many more options we have now than back then. You know oh, yeah. I mean? Well, but, and totally. And I totally see the value in, like, I'm thinking of, too, maybe a guitar player that couldn't afford, like, several guitars and says, well, I want some versatility in my sound, but I don't want to buy, like, 
a Les Paul and a Strat and a Telly. So, you know, I'm going to have this push-pull pot put in my guitar so that my humbucker can change into a single coil. And I totally dig that. I mean, because, you know, for some musicians, you can't afford a, 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 a golf bag full of guitars. You, you right, make- right. Yeah. And that that you'll see in interviews. Preamps, I'm more preamps, were huge, like yeah. in the 70s, like the mid to late 70s. Everybody started doing that. And I think my personal take on it is, yes, I think we were always, as guitar consumers, we were sold this idea that you need versatility, like versatility yeah. is come up, you know, and like all the ads copy and everything points to that, you know, a million sounds in this one guitar or this right. one amp. And I think that's bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think yeah. a good sound will go a long ways. You know what I mean? I think like an audience member will much more appreciate if you play like your whole cover version songs, like with a really good tone that maybe yeah. you vary just a little bit, then like having like a push button, like, look, I'm Mark Knopfler now. Look, no, I'm <laughs> Stevie Ray Vaughan. Look, it's just that's my take, anyways. But I think a lot of these trends that we're going to be talking about, I think a lot of it is market driven. And I think as guitar players, we're kind of like sold these ideas that we, kind of subscribe to. And some of them are based on, you know, truth and face it. We love to waste time and we love to spend money. I mean, <laughs> I include myself in that. It's just, it's just what you do as a guitar player. And, and, and in order to be a successful guitar player, you have to find a balance between that, between completely wasting your fucking time and actually playing the guitar, getting good at yeah. the guitar because there's so many options for wasting your time. And this is as old as the guitar itself. I kind of think but yeah, I think that's a good point. No, no, no. I think that's a good point that I think a lot, some of, well, yeah, I think a good portion of it is market driven, right? Exactly. For people who want to sell shit. And I think to your point too, it's like, I don't think I spent enough time ever just thinking about the versatility I could get out of a guitar with, you know, without modding, right. Using volume or using my fingers or, you know what I mean? Using, using things that are at your disposal already with the guitar and the amp rather than having some other additional stuff put on to your, to your guitar, like a, 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 you know, changing your humbucker from a humbucker to a single coil. That's a good point. And I think a lot of that shit is driven by the market. People want to sell shit, right? They want to sell these, all this stuff. And even local, I remember local music stores would love to do mods because it meant that they could charge you, you know, Sure, I'll I'll do that for you because we can charge you money and we can sell you this shit. Um, yeah, so I, I think I, I think both things can be true. I think there are people that wanted that versatility in terms of okay, I want a strat and a, a humbucker, or, and I'm gonna you know I can have the best of both worlds quote in one guitar. And then I think there was this whole drive fr- from a marketing standpoint and sales standpoint of like hey. We got this stuff and we want to sell it to musicians. I think you raise a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, like in terms of mods and stuff, I, I, well, I remember too, the Floyd, when the Floyd Rose hit too, that was supposed to be the, the, you know, the paradigm shift of whammy bars. It won't go out of tune, blah, blah, blah. And people were routing out these vintage guitars now that are vintage, you know, and right. putting these goddamn thing and putting holes in their neck up by the nut and shit. And, even back then, I was dubious about that shit. It's like, God, that seems like a pretty invasive thing to do to a guitar just to have. The, and, you know, if, come to find out, all you, you know, if you just put graphite in your nut and you set up your guitar right, a regular whammy setup will, will 
serve you well as you know <laughs> I'm, a, I'm gonna play devil's advocate just for a moment and say even though it's like not my thing at all i kind of would argue that the floyd rose was kind of like a pretty incredible invention and sure you can do all those things and it's the way you or i would approach that but it like totally like changed the way that that sort of like style of playing you know i mean it was it was huge not my thing but I mean, as far as like dive bombs and pulling up and all this stuff, it was pretty, it was a pretty revolutionary development for guitar. Again, I'm not for like routing out a Les Paul or something like that. It's like get a guitar that has that on there. Yeah. But, but that was, that was pretty, I mean, I mean, it's still pretty, pro- I think it's pretty popular today. I'm sure. It is. Still- and it's, and it's become like, it's become stock gear, like on a, like right. maybe Jackson's and shit. Like, no. And I don't, I didn't maybe, I didn't mean I didn't, to I wasn't say saying it. Yeah, but I think you're right. I mean, it was a game changer in terms of that sucker would not go out of tune. I mean, because everything was bolted down, which is cool. But like, you, but for me, exactly, like even back then, I'm like, that seems like a pretty invasive thing to do to get that technology on your guitar. And so, and then as I got older too, I mean, I started to read more about like guys that just used stock Fender trims or think shit like that, or even Eddie Van Halen when he started out. There were little tricks he did. Granted, you there were tricks you had to apply, but they were still they would make the 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 whammy stuff you had work better than you thought they would work. But you're right. right. I mean, the the there's no question about it. The the um the Floyd was a game changer. I mean, it was a fucking game changer. I remember I have this vivid memory of this kid who had a 70s Explorer and he put one on that sucker. And I played the fuck out of that thing. And it was like, yep, I could stand on this thing and it will not go out of tune. It's like, and it was impressive. But again, like, it's like, okay, you can put this on your fucking guitar, but you got to route out the guitar. And and then not only that, you got to drill holes in the, in the neck up where the nut is. So you can put on that hardware and shit. So, yeah. But like you say too, now it's evolved where it's like, you know, probably, you know, these guitar manufacturers have partnerships with Floyd Rose where, you know, that just comes stock on their guitars. So it's all part of the package. But, um, but yeah, but it, that was a, definitely a trend. I mean, it, I I remember that it was a sea change in whammy bar stuff. It was like fuck this this yeah, it was crazy. And you see it today with like guitars where people are struggling with what do I do with this now? I mean, it's a it's a vintage guitar and it's great. It's like now I got to fill these holes and I know all this stuff. And that's that. oh, go ahead. I don't. I forgot what I was going to say. Well, and that's another thing to think about too. Is like back when you and I were playing. When you know, we always harken back to our younger days. Because fuck it, because we're old. But um, you know, Fenders and Gibsons were just used guitars. I mean, there was kind of this. There were people who who thought of these guitars more fondly, and and but there wasn't a real vintage market per se. There just wasn't. You know, that didn't happen till later. So when when you and I were going looking at guitars and shit that were used it's like oh yeah that's a les paul it's a yeah it's a used guitar it's a used guitar it's cool but it's just a used guitar and so i think people obviously back then that there were they were more okay with like routing it out or or putting shit on it or but even big players would do that too like you know i mean jerry garcia and all these guys would trick out their guitars that were you know 60s and 50s guitars that now exactly hindsight you know it's like fuck this thing's routed out and shit but and the other thing to think about in trends is how much things like neck profile and guitar weight has changed because i have 
actually read interviews with somebody, and I wish I would have, I need to get post-its to bookmark some of this stuff. But it was someone was talking about an old, I think it was an old an old Gibson, maybe it was a Les Paul or something, who said it was like it was really light, but it still sustained. So it was like that whole reverse thinking, like, you know, heavy guitars sustain more than light guitars. Yeah. How many, you know, classic players of, you know, 70s, 60s and 70s rocks had their necks shaved to be thinner? You know what I mean? Yeah. Thin necks were definitely in. And I remember struggling with my first, you know, cheap copy guitars and kind of the, you know, the clubby, like not very good feeling next. And the first time picking up like a Les Paul or, you know, a Fender or something like that. And like feeling that thin kind of like taper and that really heavy guitar. It's like, this is a good guitar. It's yeah. heavy and it's got a thin neck, you know, and that, that was kind of what the yardstick of measuring was. It's like, because again, we were told heavy guitars sustain more than light guitars. And yeah. it's just, and that totally flipped. And I think that was a trend. And I think, I mean, some of these things we're talking about are definitely like just kind of went from trend to just like they just worked their way in. And it's just what it is, like the Floyd Rose and things like that. But I always I'm often wonder is like, will skinny necks ever be in again? They were huge. They were a selling point of a guitar, thin profile, super fast neck. So that's something I don't know if we'll ever return to. Heavy guitars, I think, are just, that's just the thing. I don't think anyone's ever going to want a heavy guitar. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, I think neck profiles, though, now have become a thing, like you're saying. I mean, back when, again, when guitars were being made, there were, you know, people didn't think about, oh, well, there are people with small hands, big hands, blah, blah, blah. But like you said, but so now I I, I wouldn't say like thin necks are, are in or out. I, thin necks now are just a part of the spectrum of neck profiles you can get as a guitar player right it's right, it's, right. like for the like my les paul is a classic you know like a 60 reissue and it the 60 neck was that shaved you know thinner neck profile which i totally dig too because i've got small hands but another you, when you're talking about that it made me think too about there was a huge trend um for guitars to strip their finish off their guitars you know yeah. john lennon uh, ronson all these guys uh, you know strip the because they were told that it would give give the guitar better tone or take the pickup covers off even too right because that would give your pickups a different sound i don't even know how much of that is true but right. um, that was a huge trend because if you look at some of those 70s players and 60s players that like you know they've stripped the finish off of this 60 yeah, something little little tone chasing things like that i guess it's been ongoing yeah it's not as bad as it is today like as far as like looking for the magic thing that gives you that extra bit of tone. Yeah. Like it's, we're guitar players. I mean, that stuff is like in our DNA, like what can I do to get that, find the magic tone? <laughs> Which, well, and I think it's, it's in, in it, like you and I've talked about before. I, in, a lot of times I think it's deceiving because it's like, for me, a lot of my the guitar players that I love, I love their, their early initial tone that they had. And, and you're right. I mean, it's just kind of, it's I, I don't even think it's guitar endemic to guitar players. I think it's just there's this curiosity and this this we have a desire to t tinker and tweak and seek things, whether it's like, you know, if you're a, a, a car nut or whatever, you know, you're always seeking to tweak it or but but for us musicians, yeah, we're we're chasing this sound in our head or or comparing it to what we did before. 
But a lot of times it's like it, it will lead. I know for me personally, I went on a goose chase and bought a bunch of gear that was, you know, it was okay. But probably some of the best sounds I got were from that Marshall half stack and that 80 V I had back in the early days. You well, know, I think part of it, part of it, this is my theory anyway, is I think the person who gets something and sticks with it and learns how to use it is way better off than the person that has the UPS truck showing up every day with something else new because your shit doesn't sound great every night. It doesn't sound good. Sometimes it's like, whoa. And if you go changing it every, instead of learning to use what you have, it's like, oh, wow, this amp sounds a little bit cold or harsh tonight. You know, the amp well enough to say, well, if I just back the, the mid down a little bit, you know, or, whatever you need to do, you know it. You're so familiar with it. And I think all those guitar players you mentioned, they were poor and they just got their sound and they knew it inside out. And it's like, once you go on that wild goose chase, it's just like, you know, one night, I mean, it's it's fleeting. Good tone is fleeting. And a lot of times when you think it doesn't sound very good, it does sound very good. Yeah. I mean, it's like, bring it, whatever you can do to bring it back to the way you're playing. I mean, it's it's going to come down to the way you play. Chasing things around or, or thinking like caps, or something like that is going to, you know, kind of make or break your sound. It's just like, it seems like a fool's errand to me. I I mean, I've learned, I went through all that. I'm like anybody else. I went through all that shit. I tried all these things and I'm curious and I like it and I'm glad I did, but I'm, I'm, I'm still playing the same rig I was playing in 1996. It works. It just yeah. works. I think that's exactly right. And, and, and I think a lot of times we just have to go on these trips anyway. My hope is that most people learn or, or, like what you said, it's like, well, shit, why don't I just get some some good basic ingredients and really, really get familiar with it? Because I'm guilty of that. I mean, I had great stuff that I never spent enough time figuring out how versatile I could get on it. But now I appreciate it. And now I, I try more than ever to try to work with what I have. And it's funny you say that, too, because when we were playing live the other night, when, for one of the first times, I mean, I, I you know, monitors are, are rare <laughs> that you hear good monitors, but the guy was cranking my guitar through my monitor and it sounded fucking killer. And I'm like, okay, my sound is okay. But, but, you know, most of the time I'm like, God, it sounds, I don't know. I can't, cause you know, cause my amp's pointing at my legs. Right. And I right, can't right. Really hear it, but I, I know it's a good amp and I know I've got good ingredients, but that was kind of a nice little reminder that, Hey, you know, you're getting good sounds out of this rig you know a good example of like less is more is i've been like archiving a bunch of old recordings that i've been doing over the years uh-huh. and the further i go back the better the shit sounds and I, i'm serious i i mean i was using like an old radio shack pzm mic and just like it. plugging into a board into my computer and that stuff sounds way better and i look at my rig now and i've got like a focus interface and you know these compressors and preamps and all this stuff and i'm like my shit was so much better because I just knew how to use it. Yeah. Even like the four track stuff that I did, it was like, I just knew how to use it. Now I'm just like throwing shit at it. Like, Oh, this is a good preamp. This will be my <laughs> And it does not all. Cause I'm not familiar with it. It's, it's bullshit it, for me. It's bullshit. And I'm going to, I'm going to rock that for the rest of the ride out. I'm just going to focus on what I have. And, and I love that. And that's what it's about. It's like, learn how to use what you got, man, because that's the key, you know, learn how to get the most out of what you have. And, and, and that's going to serve you well. And like, like we talked about too, I mean, in terms of trends, like now more than ever, guitar players have a plethora of shit at their disposal for pretty decent prices, man. Like, 
you can get a good Fender guitar for a decent price. You can get any oh, yeah. you want for a decent price. That was I was going to mention is as far as trends is like we're definitely on the upswing. I mean, the trend for starter guitars back in the day, they were fucking shit. I mean, they were nothing like we are so blessed with the, you know, the entry level guitar market right now. The price of admission to be a guitar player. I mean, 200 bucks, you can probably get a, a good enough Fender style guitar to get started. 200 bucks in like. 1982 bought you like crap i know (laughs) absolute crap i mean even at the 300 dollars mark you're still looking at something that's kind of yeah you know i I think that yeah i mean i think i think it's super cool actually and i also that the cool thing is i think like fender has reissued a bunch of the cool cheaper guitars i mean now they're probably more expensive than maybe they were back then but but maybe also not because like you were saying, you can get a good, you know, new guitar for a reasonable price. And you could you could get a whole, you know, and they sell packages now too, right? You could get a little package of a guitar, an amp, and whatever for a decent price. And you can start playing guitar on good stuff that, like, if you know, I remember too, like, cheap guitars when you and I were coming up. It was just impossible to make them playable, you know? Yeah. The action was shit like nuts like the thing that determines how well the guitar plays just like shit just slapped on there sticky plastic crap yeah yeah and let's let's talk about um the trend that we've been trying to, we've been sold since the dawn of guitars like how solid state is going to take over too <laughs> and it definitely i mean it definitely has for a lot of people and you know some people are you know it doesn't matter as much but the mid 80s everybody was pretty much saying you know tubes are on their way out look where we're headed you know just come step into the future and it's just not i mean tubes just won't die and hopefully they'll be around for a long time yeah I, and then that brings to mind the era of the rack mounted systems um, i remember that was really big everyone was getting rid of their stacks and they were getting like the yeah. preamp and power amp and then their whole like bradshaw rigs and i think some people i think people like find something in these trends and they kind of stick i bet you there's still people i know for a fact there's still people using preamp and a power amp kind of rig to play yeah and just kind of jumping around is there's the whole like modeling trend, which some people have just like found the modeling thing and they're like, I'm staying here. This is great. It gives me all these sounds. Mm-hmm. And but it's so funny, but I kind of pay attention to these trends. And mm-hmm. it seems like every year they're saying, finally, the technology is there. You know what I mean? It's like, here it is. This version of this is the technology that is yeah. there. And then there's other people saying, no, it's not there yet. So, yeah, I mean, if you find it and you like it, Good for you. I'm, I'm going to stick with tubes. Exactly. Well, it's funny. Well, I, I think it's cool that tubes are still a thing. That, that was the thing, too, is tubes became scarce, and now they've become less scarce. And so people can get tubes, decent tubes. Um, the, by and large, they're, you know, the older tubes were better, and they last longer. That's why they're expensive, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I dig seeing that, too, that, that people... There's something about that tube sound, that saturation, that everything that is still attractive to guitar players. And in spite of, like you're saying, all the different ups and downs and, and you know, people signaling the, the end of tubes with solid state and all that other crap. So I'm kind of, I dig it that people still appreciate the tube sound. I still, I do for sure. And also like what I've seen too. Yeah. It, the, when you mentioned the rack thing, it just, yeah, I vividly remember that whole trend. And I was watching some 
Adrian Ballou videos lately, and he's he still uses some rack mounted shit. But really? like, most of most of the stuff that when those guys use that stuff, it's really just for convenience because when they tour, because it's so easy for them to cart that shit around. But yeah, oh, that's funny, Adrian Ballou. Yeah, that was the one I was just reading. The Adrian. That's Ballou. awesome, man. January nineteen eighty four, Guitar Player Magazine with Adrian Ballou on the cover. Oh my and god! Was, I don't know what he was playing here. I just read his too, but I didn't really see. He was playing these heavily modified Mustangs with whammy bars. It looks like yeah. he has a Ford or a Kaler. Yeah. On that. Right. He's playing, yeah. Anyway, yeah, because I, I, I've been, I was watching some, because I went down the rabbit hole of, of. He's anyway, he's a great guitar player, but that's a, this is a sidetrack. But, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, for whatever floats your boat, do it, man. I have a friend who's has one of those little quilter solid state amps, and it sounds really cool, actually. So I think in some ways that technology has come a long way, and it's 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 better in some ways than it it was. Um, but for you, for you and me, I mean, I, there's nothing that beats a cool little tube amp that is working on all cylinders. You know, it's like, it just, it's just cool. And it sounds great. It's warm. It's, it just, for me, it just depends. I mean, some of that's, I hear people all the time that sound great Yeah, and I'll plug into their rigs and I just won't, I won't feel, I mean, it's me. I have to be plugged into something before I really know. I mean, yeah. Uh, so a lot of these things, they sound good. And that's another thing. And this is definitely a trend. And I think it's a trend that's grown exponentially since like the 2000s. Is it almost seems to me like things need to sound better in a bedroom than they do, you know, yeah. in an actual live situation. It's very important that like the make or break situation for like a company making pedals or guitar amps or something like that. It has to sound good. All the shit that we got when we started out was designed to be played at concert level. Like, yeah. you know, take the, the MXR Distortion Plus or something like that. Take it and plug it into your little amp at home. It sounds like shit, really. I mean, it, you know, you can get some cool sounds out of it, right? I mean, that company would not fly today because it's got to sound good in the bedroom. You know what I mean? It's got to yeah. sound good. So, I mean, and I kind of like that old stuff. I mean, that made, for me, as far as like deciding on pedals and setup, it made it so much easier because I'm like, well, I love all these records right here, right? And what were they using? Or oh, they were using this shit. I'll use that shit, and then I won't have to think about it anymore yeah. because I know that it sounds good. But, you know, and I don't mind some quirks and shit like that. I mean, we have, I mean, we've touched upon all these things like true bypass and all these, like, fads and, you know, concepts that people subscribe to and they evolve over time. I mean, first of all, I mean, just... I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, if you didn't have true bypass, it was like, you were just like stupid. You're just, your tone is just shit. You know what I mean? And then there's people that came along. Well, you know, actually scientifically a buffer, you know, having a buffer might be better. And and I don't know. I love when science gets involved because like we said, so much of this stuff was like marketing generated. So anytime there's any science behind anything, that's great. But then again, you start to reach a point of overthinking where it's not about music anymore. It's yeah. about just geeking out. In some ways, I guess I don't give a shit about the science of it. It's just plug in and play. But that's the great thing about guitar culture now is you can be in, as involved as you want to be. You can waste as much time as you want to <laughs> waste as much money as you want to. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and I think you raised well, the, the proliferation of guitars and gear and all of this other shit, it, 
there, I think that you're right. There is a, uh, this weird bedroom guitar culture too, where, yeah, it has to sound killer in my bedroom. That's a whole thing. I mean, that's a whole thing unto itself. Let's talk for a moment about string gauges through the years, because that, that fad kind of waxes and wanes. When we started out, for me anyways, I remember actually buying and using seven gauge strings. <laughs> seven gauge strings, yep. And I remember when they first, I came, became aware of them, that like the sales clerk was like, yeah, these are thinner than the human hair. I'm like, oh, I got to try those. And I used those for a while, and thin strings were in, in, in. I mean, you could bend strings yeah. really easy, and I think, you know, a lot of people stuck with them, too. But I remember, I recall, like, in the 90s, guitar magazines heavily pushing the idea that, you know, thicker strings equals more tone. Yeah. And I kind of bought into that for a while, and I think I went up to as high as 11s. As I couldn't go any further on, like, a Fender. Mm -hmm. And I just, they didn't give me any more tone. They gave me less tone because... It was harder to bend, couldn't like do vibrato as easily. So it's like you're losing some of that. I I played with a fatter sound with lighter strings. You know, I went back down to tens. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's a trade off. But yes, that, and it's kind of seems strange that someone would push the idea that just going up like a gauge, their, their idea was that you're hitting the amp with more signal. So it like, which is a good thing. And that's why, you know, overdrive pedals can make your amp sound really great. You just give it a nice fat signal. But going from like a nine to 11 or a 10 to 11, I don't think that's going to quite do it enough to, to make that kind of a difference. Yeah. And the dip, like I say, the difference in how less fun it is to play. Oh my I mean, gosh. you have good tone when it's fun to play, I think. Exactly. I mean, when you feel it on the instrument and... And plus, I for me, one thing I've learned after years of owning more guitars than I really should have is guitars will tell you what strings they like. You know what I mean? They just feel. I mean, I have different strings on all my guitars. I mean, primarily Gibsons are tens and Fenders now are nines. But you know, there's differences. You know, and I can tell if the if I'm fighting the the instrument or if it sounds weird. It's like it's to try a different set of strings. Yeah, and that's so fun. It, yeah, I went down that rabbit hole too because you know trying the heavier strings and shit. But god damn it, it was painful. I couldn't bend them. Yeah, exactly. And so <clears throat> I. But to your point that you just made, it's like try different gauge strings on each guitar because it's going to be different. Like I can put, and and again, I think you know we're lucky that you know we are on the the other side of this evolution in terms of string gauge i mean i read you know reading articles about robbie robertson having to buy banjo strings that were lighter than guitar strings so he could bend the goddamn things you know you right back in the yeah. old days they had you know very few gauge gauges of strings and you that's what you had that you so you had to get creative now you know, like you turned me on to 9.5s, which on some right. of my guitars is fucking perfect, man. A nine and three quarters I'm waiting exactly. for. That would be doing great. Or, you know, what people used to do too, or still do, is like, you know, take the gauge, the, the upper strings of, of a certain pack of gauge strings and then use heavy bottoms or, you know, now, I mean, it's it's crazy now how much we have available to us as guitar players that we are snowflakes guitar players are snowflakes. <laughs> everything is not good enough i don't get a guitar from the factory that's right for me because i'm a unique individual and i need this and the first thing i'm going to do when i get this guitar this is going to yank the pickups and put all this stuff in there change all the hardware 
yeah. do all that. Oh, we did, I can't believe we didn't mention the Brass Age. Oh, dude. The Brass Age was huge. I remember that so well. And I remember drooling too? over like, I remember I got uh, a Vantage, a Japanese Vantage Avenger guitar. And I was so stoked because it had a brass nut, and, like brass bridge and brass saddles. And I'm like, oh, man, this is so much tone, so yeah. much tone. And all the replacement parts, like everything. I mean, Fender was making like brass knobs for Stratocasters. <laughs> that is like that kind of parallels the the audio, like woo guys. Like you know, let me give me the six thousand dollars speaker cables or stuff like that. It's just these knobs will just totally take your tone to the next level. Yeah, I, I remember the brass phase vividly. Yeah, brass nuts all over the place, and. um I don't know if I ever had a guitar with a brass nut. I did. You know, um, I had a Ibanez Iceman, and they were, they like totally rode right down the middle of the, the trend because it was half brass, half bone. It was, yeah, <laughs> they couldn't come really cool. That was a great guitar. That was a really well-made guitar. But, um, I love those yeah, guitars. And Yamahas, those beautiful Yamaha SG or SBG in this country guitars had huge brass sustain blocks in the oh, wood yeah, under the yeah. bridge. And that was one where they were really pushing. Those guitars are so heavy, and they were built to be heavy. Oh, my God. And we've gotten so picky. You, you know, you'll see people talking about, like, you know, that guitar has, you know, a three-piece body, you know, or a four-piece body, or maybe even more, you know. And back then, the most expensive handcrafted guitars were just, like, laminated everywhere it's like you know six piece necks you know <laughs> you know all these bodies with like you know maple inlaid through neck with you know four pieces of mahogany and some ebony and it was just like it wasn't a thing back then you know no. and i do like i remember reading a, a review of a gibson guitar and the reviewer this was been from the 70s and the reviewer was mentioning multi-pieced body and the dude at gibson said well we'll use you know, one to three pieces of wood, if it's good wood and it sounds good. So, I mean, and that to me is reasonable. You know what I mean? Totally. If it sounds good, it is good. Now it's like, you know, that neck, that's a three piece neck. No, man, that's not, you're losing tone there. Or, a, you know, it's a three piece body. But, you know, I don't know. Well, there are people who, who piss all over that philosophy too and say it's all it's the pickups and the strings it doesn't matter whether it's wood or aluminum or whatever the fuck it is it's like it's the guitar and i don't know it's an electric guitar yeah and i don't know how many times and we all know that we we know i mean you know someone will be talking about tone and someone will say it's in the fingers and we know that yeah we know that but we just love chasing this shit i know that's part of the that's you and i talk about it a lot but it, it is part of the fun and and we both have we're steeped in that because we grew up doing it ourselves i mean i i took guitars apart and i i mean to this day i mean i've got you know i've got lawler pickups and some of my guitars and shit like that and so it is it's a fun part of of the experience you know our only caveat is hey if you've got a vintage guitar try not to fuck it up you know because we've done that and it's not cool but Otherwise, knock yourself out, you know? It's fun, but sometimes I, I do, like, kind of roll my eyes at some stuff. When the, when the latest YouTube video goes, shows definitive proof, it's the pickups or it's the strings. It's where some guy is playing, like, a guitar, and then he starts taking pieces away, and he's playing the guitar. It's like, yeah, you know, okay, you got these strings stretched across this workbench. Now, why don't you bring that to the club and see how it sounds? It's yeah. like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> thank you for your generous time, but 
it's kind of a waste of time because it's like yeah. it's the guitar find a guitar you like that sounds good and feels good and just go with it i mean that's what i tell, tell myself and here i am with a rack full of like seven electric guitars right now and it's <laughs> yeah. do i dare get you started on the the clip on tuner trend oh yeah tuner trends that's that's that an interesting talk. one because let's talk about we it. caught again i mean we sound like we're old boomers but we're gen x and and as such we were privy to a lot of it's like you know the technology we were there before the you know the with the atari 2600 yeah all the way up until the modern computer so we got to yeah. see it all which is great and it's the same with guitar technology because i do remember when the first quartz tuners became available and they were a big deal i mean if you look at these old advertisements for tuners they were these huge things like the peterson strobe tuner which is great but and there were also some really funky ones that were trying to be more affordable that were just like these boxes that you push a button there's a light that lights up yeah. and just really awkward and i remember the first tuner and i think you said have a similar story our band we pitched in or we took some show money and we got our first quartz tuner and before every show we'd be huddled around past the <laughs> tuner past the tuner and everybody would tune and that was a huge step forward it's like man we are so in tune but us being at that point in time i mean i feel really confident you or i could go up on stage and tune a guitar without a tuner and be exactly in tune with the band yeah i mean i've done it before i've done it recently before yeah. where it's just like not dicking around i like i brought a board that didn't have a tuner on it so i just used my ear but yeah the, the tuner was i and we'll see, you know, I kind of think the clip-on tuner is going to be here to stay. But when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, that's a novelty. That's a fanny pack for guitar. <laughs> people, people love them. I know. That is, I would love to just take Photoshop and go through all these iconic guitar photos of like Jimmy Page with his dragon <laughs> put hands. A, put a clip-on tuner. And put a clip-on <laughs> tuner on, on those guitars. You know, Joe Perry with his black Les Paul custom with a clip-on tuner on it. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's but, funny yeah, that when you mentioned the, the onset of the tuner, I, I I have, it was a ritual. I have these vivid memories of us in dark clubs, like all huddled in a booth, you know, waiting to tune our instrument. Yeah. So it's like once I got done tuning mine, I'd give it to the bass player, he'd tune his bass. And then, and it was, to me, it's kind of cool. Like there was this, it was before Stompbox tuners, and you, you, you know, exactly. We did the same thing. We we saved up money, or somebody bought a tuner, and then we all used it before the show, and we're ah, cool, ready to go. Let's do it. And um, it's like Pearl Jam ten album cover there with the tuner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gather around. Here we go. Exactly. High fives. It's funny, yeah, because I I vividly remember that. It was so. It was cool. It was kind of this every gig. It was a ritual. Okay, let's all tune up. Shit, it was. It, now that I think of it, it was. I remember this in the nineties very clearly. Working down at Emerald City Guitars, the Japanese pedal company Arion yeah. came up with a, a the first on the floor pedal tuner, and they were a cheap pedal company, so it was all plastic. The battery cover popped off, and you never saw it again. But every musician in town wanted one of those. We were constantly ordering those. They were really cheap. And then Boss, in their infinite wisdom, came up with the TU series of floor pedals and then just kind of blew them out of the water because it was Boss and it was made, you know, durable. But they were the, if I'm not mistaken, I think they were the first company to put it in a pedal, compact pedal form with That's the big awesome. lights on it. The yeah. Aria company. 
Yeah. Well, we, I, I remember too, we had a, a con strobe tuner at one time too, that we, those are great. We, there's tubes. So the early ones are tubes. You can make oh, them. They're awesome. I love that thing. And they're accurate as hell too. And so that was, we, I think that was, we graduated to that after that, the, like you said, the Korg um, tune, which was, those are great tuners too. Those little uh, bricks that you still have one, I think. Um, but yeah, the con was cool too. And we, well, we'd all share that, but, um, but yeah, it was, there's something, but now exactly. I mean, you can, every, every person with an instrument that can be tuned has their own stomp box that, but it's funny to think about that trend before that, or, you know, you, and before tuners in general, you, you know, you had to just huddle around each other and, and either with a pitch pipe or whatever it was and, and all get in tune. But yeah, that, that's the wild west. It was back then. I love it, man. Yeah. Well, that was awesome, dude. I mean, we covered quite a few trends and I'm sure there are many more that we didn't cover, but maybe some people will chime in and we can, we can part two chew on that one. Yeah. But that was great. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. Chris and I are going to try to get back on the horse and, and do this more frequently. It's, it's fun, man. The last couple conversations have been really fun. So catch us on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, uh, whatever, wherever you dig your podcasts. I think we're there. Check out our website, Chris and Rick talk guitars.com. And, um, maybe we'll try to come up with some new merch this year too. And because I, I kind of worked up a new logo, so maybe we'll do that. Oh, sweet. Yeah. You got anything else to say, pal? We should reach out to a, a Chinese manufacturing company to make a, a guitar. We should. <laughs> we should. A guitar. A really big, bulky, sticky plastic nut on it, like sharp fret ends. Super heavy. 79 bucks. <laughs> super heavy. All right. Maybe we'll try to do that. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.